Well, welcome to my living room. I'm thankful that we live in a time and a place where we can be together in this way, and I'm thankful that you're here. But even with all that gratitude, I still recognize that things have changed pretty dramatically for all of us. Things about how we do school, things about how we do work, things about how we socialize have all changed. And I recognize that change can produce all kinds of uncertainty, and uncertainty oftentimes creates anxiety. Last week we looked at how to deal with our internal world with all of this change, and we saw that we can pray to a God who actually wants to hear from us. This week I want to look at how we deal with our external world in all of this change, and we're going to do so on this Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day where we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem just days before his crucifixion and one week before his resurrection. That's what we'll celebrate next week at Easter. But we're going to look at the external world around us and how we should respond in all of this change. If you're here with us and you are in a place where you're thinking, let's just get on with life. Let's get back to normal. Let's be bold and courageous in how we live and how we care for others. I'm so thankful that you're with us. I think there will be something here for you in this. And if you're here with us and and thinking, man, I'm more in a place of the uncertainty just leaves me paralyzed. You're feeling fear maybe more than anything else. I'm thankful you're with us as well because I believe there will be something here for you today also. Because I think in these moments, what we need to do first is see Jesus clearly. That's where hope begins, and I actually believe that's where direction starts also. So before we dive in on this Palm Sunday, let me pray. Father God, we need you. I just want to start there. We need you. We need you to be our refuge and our strength. We need you to be our ever-present help in times of trouble. You say that's what you are in your word. We're going to take you up on that offer, God. We need you. These are difficult times for many. These are uncertain times for all. So I pray, God, that you would help us have the wisdom to lean into you more than we lean into our fears on the one hand or we lean into our own ingenuity on the other hand. I pray that in this time together, we would be able to see you more clearly. And because we see you more clearly, we might be able to reflect your character more rightly in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about seven years ago, my son, Caleb, my eldest son, came to Abby and I, my wife, and said he was uh, having tired eyes. I assumed that the cure for this would be to eat more bananas. That's what my dad always told me when I was growing up, when I had something that was going wrong with me. He would say, eat more bananas. I'd be like, oh, my legs are cramped after practice. Eat more bananas. That one probably made sense. But other things as well. It's like, oh, I broke my arm. He's like, you need to eat more bananas. Dad, I'm having an existential crisis. Eat more bananas and watch the Woodstock documentary. That should clear everything up for you. That's the house I grew up in. And so I brought that into my parenting and assumed Caleb just needed to eat more bananas. My wife, though, is actually a good parent, and she's smart, and said uh, he probably needs to go to the eye doctor. Maybe it's time for him to get glasses. And she was right. He did need glasses. Caleb could see some without glasses. He could play sports, but he couldn't see the whole field. He could see the board at school, but he would have to guess at certain words and certain letters. He couldn't see the world clearly. He couldn't see the world rightly, and it was leading him to miss things that matter. 
on Palm Sunday, let's give a little bit of background that might be helpful in us understanding all of what goes on and why that matters to us today. In John chapter 12, verse 12, it says, A great crowd had gathered in Jerusalem. The crowd was probably around 200,000 people. Remember those days when we could gather together? Those were fun days, like the days we could go get a haircut and give someone a high five. We'll get back to those days, um, but I look forward uh, to that. But, but 200,000 people had gathered in Jerusalem the same time Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. This was a Jewish festival that celebrated God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. It was a reminder that God cares for those that are bound, those that are voiceless, and those that feel left out and uncertain about what comes next. God shows up for them. That's what this festival was about. And the city was abuzz. There was a different kind of energy on this Passover because people heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And the buzz made a ton of sense. Just before this, Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. A clear sign to everyone who saw it and everyone who heard about it that nothing, no illness, no disease, not even death itself can stand in the way of Jesus' love. And then after that event, he and his followers, Jesus and his followers, walked through the crowded streets of, of, of a town called Jericho. This was an urban center, kind of an overflow space for Jerusalem, so it would have been packed as well, even though uh, Jerusalem was packed, even as Jerusalem was packed. And as they walked through these bustling streets, people were pushing Jesus along because they knew he was headed to Jerusalem to do really important things. And as the crowd was yelling and pushing him along, Jesus heard what was almost certainly, almost impossible to hear, the, the sound of a voice off in the corner, a blind beggar who says, Son of David, have mercy on me. A clear proclamation from this guy that he believes Jesus is the true king. And Jesus stops and has compassion. And he looks at this man and he says uh, what I think is one of the most profound questions we can ask. What do you want me to do for you? And the man says, I, I want to see and Jesus heals him of his blindness. And I love this. Uh, he says to the man, go, go on your way. And given the choice to go on his way, he follows Jesus and his followers in to Jerusalem. The city was buzzing because news was spreading that this miracle worker, this life giver, this king, Jesus, was coming to Jerusalem. And hope was coming with him because so much else in their world was so uncertain. In Jesus' day, the Roman Empire ruled the known world from England all the way to India. It was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And Rome was said to bring salvation to the world. But the Roman emperor, Tiberius, had an issue because he couldn't be everywhere at once. And so he would appoint local officials to oversee people in these different places. In the region of Caesarea, Caesar appointed a Roman named Pilate. And so if you're Pilate and you're called to ro rule this, uh, this area, you don't want the people to raise a ruckus, particularly at Passover. You don't want people to think that somehow God is going to show up in a unique way like he had when he freed the slaves from Egypt because it's your job to maintain order. So once a year, Pilate would leave Caesarea, where he normally was, and he would march into Jerusalem, and he would send a clear message, don't mess 
with Rome. And he would do it at Passover, when all those people had gathered in Jerusalem. That's when he would show up. He would show up at that festival to remember God frees people. And he would come with a message, don't mess with Rome. And the message was really loud and clear. His processional was, uh, was at its head, the Roman eagles, this giant statue. It was a symbol of the Roman military. But behind that, the real force came. A legion of Roman military with swords in hand would march with Pilate. And then at the back, just to be clear in the message, at the back of the processional would be people carrying a cross to say, hey, not now, not ever, don't mess with Rome. Imagine the fear and the uncertainty that would bring. Uncertainty is just a way of life for them. But on this same week, the Passover was approaching, Pilate was coming in with his processional, a different processional was coming on a different side of town into Jerusalem. It was Jesus and his followers. Jesus tells his followers, standing on the edge of the city, Having just come through Jericho, he says, go to the village ahead of you and you're going to find a donkey and a colt there and they'll be tied up. And I want you to untie them and bring them to me. And if anybody asks you, just say, the Lord needs them. I can almost imagine Jesus smirking because I know I would have been a terrible apostle if he was like, yeah, just go get the colt and uh, the the donkey and the colt and just tell them the Lord needs them. I wouldn't have been able to do it. I'd have been so uh, scared. I would have just like hidden in the corner, cloak and dagger like in the shadows, just kind of eyes on the donkey until no one was there. And then I would quickly untie the donkey and I would run as fast as my legs and those little donkey legs could take us back up the hill to Jesus. And, And I'd be like, okay, here are the donkeys. And I'm positive Jesus would have responded like, hey, did you do that faith test thing that I, that I encourage you to do, that thing where I was like, if anybody asked, just say the Lord sent them, and I'd be like all out of breath and be like, no, it was crazy. I didn't even see anybody. I would have been a terrible apostle. But the followers of Jesus, they respond to him, and they do that. They bring the donkey to him, and Jesus climbs upon that donkey, which is a clear uh, reference to uh, the Old Testament and, and the, the prophets who said that the king would ride in to Jerusalem on a donkey. And a crowd of people, as Jesus comes down the hill from the Mount of Olives, lay their cloaks on the ground and they cut palm fronds. That's where Palm Sunday comes from. Palm fronds on the ground for him to walk over and they shout, Hosanna, save. It's actually the combination of two Hebrew words, Hosha and Na, please save. There were all these unknowns going on in the lives of the people that were there that day as Jesus came down the hill from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. So many uncertain things and so many questions about why God wasn't interceding for them, why he wasn't showing up to help them out, but Jesus was coming. And so they shouted, blessed is the king who comes to save. Our troubles are over. With all the canceled classes, and stay-at-home orders, and layoffs, and 401k ups and downs, we are becoming familiar maybe more than ever with uncertainty. So what should we do with all this uncertainty in the world around us? How should we respond? I believe first, we should try to see Jesus clearly. And then second, we should serve others sacrificially. See Jesus clearly, serve others sacrificially. And let me say before we unpack those two things, hopefully there are some of you who are with us that aren't yet followers of Jesus. Maybe you're not exactly sure why you're watching this. Maybe you're just at the beginning of asking the question, is Jesus who he said he was? Maybe you're not even there yet. 
Maybe you don't even really want to ask that question or maybe you don't want the answer to it, but let me say a couple of things. One, my hope is that this is a community where you can ask all the questions you need to. But the most important question you will ask is, is Jesus who he said he was? It's important you do work with that question because it will change everything either way. Jesus rides in to Jerusalem, a king, and they shout, Hosanna, please save, and he does. He just does it in a totally different way than any king ever has before. That shout, uh, that shout of, of Hosanna, it came with this undertone to it. Overthrow everything that stands in our way. Take away all the troubles. Be on our team and make our path easier. All the uncertainty in our life needs to go away now. And we want to land on top. And I get it. We're all looking for things that help us land on top, that make our life better. In this season, it's anything, anything could, if you just ride into town and take this virus away. And that makes sense in this season. But in retrospect, when we looked back on, on the things that we often run to uh, for, for safety, for fulfillment, they fall so terribly short. I remember when uh, the first Dunkin' Donuts opened near uh, summit near the Herndon campus. And people went crazy. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't figure out what was going on. People that were normally rationally thinking individuals who had uh, pretty normal diets had completely lost it altogether. It was three solid meals a day of just straight donuts. I mean, it was all donuts. And don't forget dessert, a couple of those munchkins just for, for good measure. I mean, it was crazy. And you know what happened two weeks later? No one's eating donuts. No one was talking about Dunkin' Donuts. The question is why? Why the distinct change? Because it didn't meet expectations. We didn't see it clearly for what it was when it came into town. We thought, now we have New England donuts, and it's going to be the salvation of all things. It's going to be the best thing ever. We have these donuts. Our troubles are over, and it didn't fulfill us longer than it took the sugar to wear off. And for those that shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday, they had expectations that Jesus didn't come to meet. They saw him as king, and they saw him as savior, but they still weren't seeing him clearly. See, the thought of those that proclaimed Jesus as king and savior as he rode into the city is that if I follow him, my troubles are over. No more discomfort, no more unknowns for me. The people gathered on Palm Sunday, they wanted to follow Jesus, the King that saves all the way to the place where my circumstances are exactly where they should be and it's all comfort and all security and all power. But Jesus offers a cross that saves through his sacrifice. Jesus is a King whose way is the cross. And while I would never wish for us to be in the circumstances, the situation that we are in right now with so much uncertainty, these moments do afford us the opportunity to ask an important question. How do we trust him in the unknown and in the uncomfortable? How do we resist the urge to say, God, if you're there, you'd make my life easier. And because my life isn't easy, it must mean you're not there. How do we resist that? I think it's by seeing Jesus clearly. And I think there's a place in the scriptures that happened during this week between Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the resurrection where we can see him so clearly. 
It's recorded in John chapter 13 as Jesus shares his final meal with his followers. Starts in verse 1 with this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. That's a reminder that sometimes Jesus does things in the present that we won't understand till later. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you're not part of me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter seems like a guy who might hoard uh, hand sanitizer. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You're clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said, not everyone is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, He put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Jesus, the King, in one of his last moments with his followers, took the role of a servant. And it wasn't just a demonstration to remind his followers that serving others is a value you should hold or an idea you should agree with intellectually. He got on his hands and his knees, and he took the role usually reserved for the least valued in society. In those days of dirty and dusty roads, the servant of the house would wash the feet of those that entered the home. But Jesus, not overcome by the grime of the world, not overcome by the dirt or even the weariness on the feet of his followers. He bent down and he cleaned it. Jesus says, this is the position I am going to take for you all the way to my end. See, he washed the disciples' feet so they could see him clearly. They could see him as a king who came to serve. Five days after Jesus comes in, to Jerusalem, proclaimed a king who would save. And just hours after he washes the disciples' feet, he's hanging on a cross. He takes on all the penalty of all the sin that will ever be, though he lived the life we were designed to live. Paul in Romans puts it this way, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus shows it isn't the threat of a cross for disobedience. It's through a king taking on a cross that salvation actually comes into the world, how a true and right kingdom is ushered in. 
But Jesus didn't say, your troubles are over if you follow me. He didn't say you'll never have doubts or uncertainty. He didn't say there'll never be things that keep you up late at night. He's a king who took on a cross. Following him will lead to discomfort. But he did say, I've told you these things so that you'll be at peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome this world. And then later he would say, very truly, I'm with you always. I know it's normal for us to seek comfort, but what Jesus offers is himself and his way. Last week, Zach walked us through 1 John 3.16, the first half of 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. That's seeing him clearly, but the verse continues, we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. That's serving others sacrificially. So we start with seeing him clearly. He's a king who came to serve. He rode into Jerusalem for that very purpose. And if you've never said, I believe that. I believe that's who Jesus is and I want to build my life around that today. Maybe today is the day. And it's not more complicated than saying this. I, saying, I don't know everything that comes next, but I know what comes next following Jesus is far more certain than what comes next without him. We see Jesus clearly, and then he invites us into his way. Do you know what that makes us? That the king invites us into his way, it makes us incredibly and wildly unordinary. And Christians have always been at their best when we've lived like, lived like it, especially in uncertain times. Within a few hundred years of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, Christians had turned the world upside down completely. They didn't have a bunch of money. They didn't have a bunch of people. They didn't even have buildings. They just relentlessly pursued the idea that Jesus came to serve. They saw a Jesus that loved and that wiped away tears and that took time for people and that washed feet and that asked provocative questions like, what do you want me to do for you? And they wanted to live like Jesus. As writer Michael Frost puts it, Followers of Jesus surprised the world with their unlikely lifestyles, and it raised an insatiable curiosity among the average Roman. And it did so by getting really practical, because sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is the most practical thing. In the Roman Empire, in the time of Jesus, it was perfectly acceptable to abandon a child uh, for, for almost any reason. It could be marital struggle, it could be financial trouble, it could be that the child was unsightly, and you could just abandon that child. It was called the expositi. When Christians heard that and saw that, they took in orphans and they built orphanages. When uh, health care became a limiting factor for people and was uh, standing in the way of affirming the dignity of people, Christians built hospitals. The first hospital was built by St. Basil of Caesarea in 369, and by the 1500s there were 37,000 Benedictine monasteries caring for the, the ill. That's just in the, the, the Benedictine uh, uh, sect. When education became a limiting factor for growth and in and, and people and in communities, Christians built schools and hospital, or schools and, and universities, particularly in medieval Europe and in the formation of the United States. When homelessness rose in the U.S. in the 1870s post the Civil War, 
Christians opened homeless shelters and and feeding centers. Followers of Jesus for the last 2,000 years in the face of need and vulnerability have taken off the crown and they've taken up the towel and they've served. They've taken the harder way because they saw Jesus clearly. They served others sacrificially. They responded creatively to the needs in the world around them because Jesus showed them to when he washed their feet. And as they followed him, it changed the world. Christians changed the world, and I believe it can happen again. Or maybe the better way of saying it is, I believe it is happening again, and we can get swept up in it. Just before the stay-at-home order in Orange County uh, was, was delivered, East River High School, our school partner out at the Waterford campus, reached out to us and said they were hosting a spring break tutoring session for kids that were falling through the cracks. Maybe their school uh, grades were too low or their testing scores were too low or maybe they were right on a bubble and they weren't receiving the services they need and they were struggling there. And so 150, 200 students, they said, we're going we're gonna to do a study session for them and teachers are going to show up and, and, and give their time, but we don't have any money for food or snacks or things like that. And so they reached out to us. And we talked to the congregation here at Summit about it. And in a season when people were stockpiling out of fear and self-preservation, Summit people didn't keep for themselves, they gave for others. And they gave and they gave and they gave. And as uncertainty around the coronavirus grew, as it seems to continue to grow, as uncertainty grew, generosity grew with it. And the back of my car filled up, my 2007 Honda Pilot, it filled up with bottles of water and snacks for kids who deserve to have it, deserve they know, to deserve, that deserve to know they matter to God. And my car always seems to fill up when that's the case. When people are in need, my car fills up with supplies for people in need, and I love that about our church. And I was able to drop off hundreds of bottles of water and snacks for an entire three-day study session to very grateful teachers at East River High School ready to care for vulnerable children in our community. Jesus once said, the greatest among you will be your servant. And Martin Luther King Jr., reflecting on that verse, said, by giving that definition of greatness, it means anybody can be great because anybody can serve. You only need, I love this, a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. In this time, in this place, what are we going to be known for? Are we going to be ordinary or are we going to be something better? Let's be incredibly and wildly unordinary in how we seek to be great in the way that Jesus defined greatness. Seeing Jesus clearly should lead us to serving others sacrificially. And the reality is, though, there are things that stand in the way. I mean, if we find ourselves waiting until everything is perfect and different, more how we had planned, more how we had envisioned to be faithful, if we're waiting for that to be faithful, we are putting far too much in our circumstances and far too little trust in Jesus. It was the mistake made by those who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, who yelled Hosanna and then days later were willing to be part of a crowd that said away with him. He's not as big as we thought he was. The danger of the follower of Jesus today is that we're far more like that crowd than we would like to admit. 
because it's easy to trust him when things go our way, when all the uncertainty and all the troubles go away. But look, things won't always go as planned. They won't always go the way of the list, but it doesn't make God smaller. I know this is a time that comes with so much that is unknown, but what has to be fought in these moments is the urge to forget what is known. Jesus is Hosanna. He is the king we needed who came as the servant. And his kingdom is always best lived out through the way of the cross, through sacrifice, and through asking others that simple yet profound question, what do you want me to do for you? In times like this that shift seemingly day to day when news tells us different things day to day, what can be done in terms of serving others may shift, but the humble posture shouldn't. We have foot washers among us, and we should thank them. Our service providers, our healthcare workers, teachers, the people that work at Publix, they are heroes right now. They're, they're serving us. We should thank them as we interact with them. But we can take the posture of a servant as well. And so I want to talk to a few different groups for a couple of minutes. Right now, those with compromised immune systems and the elderly, they need us to prioritize their health over our comfort and our normal way of life. So the social distancing, the staying at home, these are ways where we can take the posture of a servant. Because the thing is, the call of the Christian is always always care for the vulnerable and serve those in need, even at the cost of our convenience and our rhythm of life. Stay at home, but also stay connected is what faithfulness looks like for us right now. It won't always, but that's what it looks like for us right now. In these times, staying connected looks different. Normally, we would gather in homes in our Summit Connect groups in smaller groups, but we're continuing to gather online in these Summit Connect groups. I encourage you, be in one of those groups. We're launching new ones uh, even now. For you, jump in. Loan some of your hope to someone who needs to hear a word of hope. Or maybe you're hopeless in this moment and you feel isolated and you feel alone. My encouragement is jump into one of these groups. Maybe someone has some hope you can borrow. For some, you're directly dealing with the impacts of COVID-19 and you're maybe sick or you're out of work. Please let us be the church for you. Please don't go through this alone. Don't live in isolation. Draw toward fellowship. Draw toward community. Reach out to us. Let us be the church for you. Let us help care for you. And for all of us, let's serve the person nearest to us. Let's ask the people nearest to us, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe someone close to you really needs you to ask that. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your mom or dad or brother or sister. Maybe it's a coworker. These are the people that God has given us to love and given us the most, most relational opportunity with the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself means we should care about everyone, but we should love well those closest to us. I heard of someone who in our congregation is walking their neighborhood every day like a lot of us are doing to get out a little bit, but they're praying for their neighbors by name as they go past their house. I love that. That is a servant's spirit. Reach out to your neighbor. If you're going to the grocery, ask if you can pick anything up. 
Help your neighbors not feel alone in this time when social distancing doesn't have to mean disconnection. But in this time of social distancing, amazing things are happening in, in, in places at Summit that I would love to invite you into as well. Get into one of those Summit Connect groups, but also our care communities that are caring for foster families are, are continuing to find creative ways to love and, and serve them. Vulnerabilities don't go down for foster families now, they only increase. And I love that people are continuing to jump in. Last week, we launched a new care community via Zoom, and they're beginning to care for a family in need. If you want to do that, if you want to jump in to care for foster families in our community right now, jump in, you can do that. And in the days and in the weeks ahead, opportunities will open up. The people that were most vulnerable among us before this pandemic will be as vulnerable or more after it. The homeless, the poor, particularly children, the elderly, And so let's not forget, as we recover, which will happen, as we recover, let's take the posture of a servant first, not just race back to normalcy for us. On the ride home from the eye doctor, when Caleb got his glasses, Abby realized that he was really quiet in the back seat. And so at one of the stoplights, she turned around and saw him just staring intently out of the window of the car. And so she said, Hey, buddy, are you, are you okay? And he said slowly, but with this great joy, he said, Mom, everything is just clearer now. If we see Jesus clearly, I believe we will see the world clearer. We'll see how others who are dealing with the same things we're dealing with, maybe even more difficult circumstance, we'll see how they matter. And so I'm going to borrow an encouragement from writer L.R. Nose to close. Do not be dismayed by the darkness of this world. All things break and all things can be mended. Not with time, as they say, but with intention. So love intentionally, extravagantly, unconditionally. The broken world waits in the darkness for the light that is you. Are you willing to trust Jesus in this time? Seeing him clearly, are you willing to serve others sacrificially? Because light breaks into a world that is far too dark, far too often, every time you do. And it would be folly for us to try to move into this space, to be humble servants, to take the position of a servant without Jesus. Because the thing is, you can't follow Jesus without Jesus. So as we close, let me pray as we move into this space of serving others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being a servant king whose way is the cross. We don't deserve that, but you were willing to give it to us because you love So in this time, with so much uncertainty, help us lean into you because we need you to guide us. As we move through our days, give us wisdom to seek you and give us strength to serve like you right where we are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.